What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I want to tell you guys about a brand new podcast coming to our luminary slate called Sonic Boom. For more than four decades, the Seattle Supersonics were among the NBA's most iconic franchises. But in 2008, they packed their bags for Oklahoma. Hosted by the Ringer's Jordan Ritter-Kahn, Sonic Boom tells the story of basketball and politics, wealth and power, and reveals new truths about the NBA's greatest heist. You can find the eight-episode documentary podcast exclusively on Luminary starting October 3rd. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Watch. Today, I was joined by my good buddy, Juliet Littman, and we talked, for the most part, about Peaky Blinders. Now, I don't think we got into any spoiler territory. The new season is starting on Friday on Netflix, and I don't think we really got too deep into anything that was like this character lives or dies. So this is not about season five yet, which we haven't seen. It's all about the first four seasons, but it's really all about how Peaky Blinders has been like the slow burn, like really, really, really solid television show basically over the better part of this decade. So it was a really fun conversation with Juliet. We also got into a couple of other digressions in there, especially about Killian Murphy Instagram accounts. We will be back on Monday. Greenwald will be here and we'll also have the audio from Number One Boys with me and Jason Concepcion, our succession after show. You can watch that on Sunday after Succession's East Coast airing on HBO. You can find us in all the usual places. And then we will be coming to you next week after the season finale. We're going to do that on Monday. So we'll watch it. Everybody will watch it on Sunday. And we will come in and do number one boys on Monday. We'll have reactions then. Can't wait for the end of the season of Succession, meaning like I can't wait to see what happens. It's like, I wish the show never ended. Other than that, let's get into today's show and talk to Juliet. All right, now I'm joined by Juliet Lemon to talk to me about a variety of subjects, as she always does when she joins The Watch. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk? Let's start a little bit on Peaky Blinders. Phenomenal. Which is coming back on Netflix for its fifth season tomorrow on October 5th. Yes, October 5th. 4th? October 4th. 4th right? Yeah, you're right. And uh, it's already aired in England. I, have you already watched the English? Version? I haven't. So you're just sh- saving it? Yeah, I had to stay off some of my favorite websites for... A bit. Because, what are some of your favorite websites? Uh, DailyMail.co.uk. Okay. Um, a favorite of Meghan Markle's as well? No, it is not. <laughs> um, I feel conflicted about the Daily Mail, but, you know, I just has all the photos that I crave. So, um, <laughs> Peaky Blinders is wild popular in the United Kingdom. Sure. And yeah. as a result, the day after the season five premiere, Daily Mail had like a spoilery article in, in the storied right rail. Okay. And I... Where they usually have, look at this footballer with a, this way to Essex, any way but Essex? Any, anyway, the only way is Essex. Only way is Essex star on a yacht, yeah. drunk. Or like Meghan Markle steps out or, you know, any any of that stuff. Right. Um, But it wasn't that spoilery. I just was like, oh, like this is back. It, it just, it, you know, this is not really a spoiler. If you've watched any seconds of Peaky Blinders, they're like, bloodiest premiere in Peaky Blinders history. I'm like, okay, like, what is that? Is that even true? Have we done the math, Daily Mail? But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, all to say, it's back. People are excited about it. And, yeah, I'm looking, I I can't wait. I want to talk about how I miss Peaky Blinders. I'd love to discuss that as well. So I, I think that there's a huge thing about, like, the intimidation factor of when you know that you have three seasons ahead of you. Right. And it took me quite a while to realize those three seasons were only at 18 episodes. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's so great about the show is that if you feel like you need 
like a really entertaining and fun serialized drama right now. Like, mm-hmm. why not pick Peaky Blinders? Because you have six fresh episodes coming to you and only 24 to catch up on. That is the same as, that's less than the first season of like many network shows from the 1990s. Yeah, and unlike a lot of movies today, and I would say maybe like about five or six TV shows that are on, it's unlikely, unless you go to the dailymail.co.uk, like Juliet does, yeah. that you're going to accidentally walk into some Peaky Blinders spoilers on like Friday night. Very unlikely. Uh, because that tends, it tends to be a little bit like, kind of walled off in its own Peaky Blinders world, but it is incredibly popular. I think that the main thing, and I've talked about this a little bit, was I started the first episode a few times, Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is pretty cool. And then early 2000s Garage Rock would start playing, and I was like, this is like— in the bad seat This is really stupid. But it was—the Nick Cave part is the theme song I was okay with. It was more like Arthur and Tommy go to a bar and— Jet starts playing uh-huh. or, you know, the vine starts playing. Yeah. And I was just like, this is a really, really stupid choice. And sometimes even in season three, season four, I'm like, I wish they just like had like classical music playing or like old timey jazz playing or something that was a little bit more period appropriate. Yeah. And when they do do scenes where they're dancing to jazz or something, I'm like, this is what it should be. Like in, season, sh- in season two, I it think shouldn't be the to- hives. You know, yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be hate to say I told you so. Yeah. I think that also... This is really silly, but for me, with a lot of British shows, the accents can be a real barrier. Mm-hmm. So you got to go full subtitles with this show and not look back. Can we have a quick subtitle conversation? I'd, I'd love to. A little digression. Do you find yourself ever mostly reading when you're watching it with subtitles? Like, do you feel like your actual eye, eye line is going bottom of the screen? Yes. And I, it's almost like a weird, like— I uh, found that with Chernobyl. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And some people don't like subtitles because it's almost like spoilery because like it'll you'll see it on screen before it happens. It's bad for comedy. It's yeah. terrible for comedy because oh, the jokes come. It, they the, put up a block of text timing. that doesn't have the timing of the comic. Yeah. Interesting. Because like when I watched the Inbetweeners, I never considered putting um, the subtitles on. But I think I did watch Sex Education with subtitles. And I didn't really love Sex Education. No. As everyone else did. Did you watch Dairy Girls? No, I was just thinking about that. Dairy so, Girls is incomprehensible without subtitles. As somebody who has like lived in Ireland for six months, interesting. I cannot understand it. It's essential with this show. I for dramas, it does kind of like help me follow along. One thing that depresses me is that just my comprehension for television is so down. How it's, so? Like or like my attention for it. Like I just I play two dots on my phone while watching so many TV shows, and I'm embarrassed by it. Was it, does Peaky Blinders count? Like, do you watch? Do you? do other things while watching Peaky Bees? No, I, I was really, I watched it last December when I was living with my parents mm-hmm. and I was just like, I'm busy. Please don't talk to me. Like, <laughs> I, I gotta watch this show. How did you parcel it out binge-wise? Because I've I've had to like really mainline it, which I think has been both good and bad. I, so the 24 episodes, I think I watched in like three weeks. That's, that's, that's kind of close to where I'm going to be. Because I think I started watching it in Philly. I watched like a full season on a flight back from Philly. And now I'm, I'm approaching home plate. When you get into it, it's really fun. And yeah. you just want to keep going. And I, this, of course, brings us to one of the most electric and dynamic characters on television. Male characters. Yes. Since Don Draper, the one and only Tommy Shelby. So this is the thing that I'm most apologetic for. I, I, I have found God late in life. <laughs> And he is an Irish man named Killian Murphy, who I was having this text message conversation actually back and forth a little bit with Sam Donsky. Often gets cited my text messages on this pod with Sam. 
And this is the second time we're talking about him today. Is it? Yeah. But not on this pod. No, I just said earlier today my favorite uh, Twitter content is his Twitter. Yeah. Feed. I mean, Sam's a, an absolute American institution and a legend. Yeah. And, and, and he supports this pod by giving me really good ideas when we text. Te- Sam, text me too. He I'm was available. talking about how, uh, he, I don't even think he particularly cares for Peaky Blinders, but Killian, the Killian Murphys of the world, the TV used to be their their place yes. to shine. It wasn't like, oh, Amy Adams is coming down from the majors to do a six-episode show or somebody, some major star, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are going to do TV. It was the person who in movies was usually a supporting actor or maybe just in indie films or, or movies that you didn't really see a lot. The bad guy in Red Eye, the guy who was in 28 Days Later. And then Killian Murphy gets... 24 hours to completely live in and inhabit this character who in any other actor's hands, I think, would be not nearly as interesting. Like, I I think that his performance belongs in the conversation among, like, the best performances I've seen on television. I agree, and I want to parse that. I just want to say the only other actor I could potentially see being Tommy Shelby is Christian Bale. That's the only one out there. Yes, but even Christian Bale, there is... It's not even like a who's a better actor. It's like Killian Murphy's eyes oh are actually <laughs> so much more humane than Christian Bale's. Like there is a certain warmth to his demeanor that even when he is doing dastardly shit or ma- being Machiavellian, like I, I, there is a warmth and a connection that I feel to him that I don't often feel when Bale is pretending to be blind in the big short. Yeah, I don't even remember that. So I or agree. losing tons of weight for any movie. Yeah, he's like, hey, do I have to lose weight for this movie? I'm in. <laughs> I'm in, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, Killian Murphy is amazing because unlike ever with Christian Bale, we're always like, wow, Christian Bale's really going for it. Yeah, you're like Tommy. Wow, Tommy. Like, oh my god, this character. So much restraint. So much restraint, and you just, I lose myself to Tommy Shelby. I'm not like, wow, I. I need to sit down and watch this Killian Murphy performance. And that's why I think it's more akin to Dondre Burr. I was talking to my friend Talia about this and she was like comparing them as characters. Mm-hmm. I don't think Tom, I don't think Tommy and Don Draper have very much in common, to be honest. But I do think both actors so deeply inhabit the, the character yes. that they make you think of each other because they're sort of like, it's like a, a perfect world has been constructed for the character. And like Peaky Blinders perfectly suits this amazing performance that Killian Murphy gives to be this incredibly complicated and like objectively vile human mm-hmm. who you also cannot help but fall for. I mean, yeah. he, I think his eyes is a big part of it. It's a really good point. Like there's so much light in them all the time. And the show is pretty dark, both in tom- terms of its visual tone and like its, it's tenor. It's grimy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And he is just absolutely incredible in it. He dominates literally every scene of the show. I think he's in 95% of the scenes. I'm trying There's to, like some Arthur scenes. There's some poly scenes. Some poly scenes, scenes you know. but he's in so much of it. Yeah. And he absolutely carries it and is just a, like a, a magnetic force. Like there are not a lot of actors like this out there. Uh, he operates from a place of restraint. Yeah. Uh, which is something that can be easily read as sort of, uh, you know, low energy or not bringing enough to the table in terms of like projecting action and activity on screen and, you know, passion. But what it means for Killian Murphy, because he is a very personable actor and he really is watchable, is that when he does get hyped up or when he does lose it in a violent way or when he's just even like in the beginning of season three and he's just kind of like in a tailspin a little bit, 
it becomes that much more magnetic because you're used to him just like walking in and just being completely cool in every situation. It is a lot like Don Draper in that sense. Don Draper was always like too cool for school in all these situations. And then when he does have those personal like trials and tribulations, you're like, oh man, watching this guy like unravel is fascinating. I I think that also with both of them, and this is so true of Tommy Shelby, the way he wears his suits and he's always in a suit Mm -hmm. essentially, really... Um, works to show off the special gait that he has and, like, how he walks. Yeah. And he has so much command and also, like, always seems like he's in a rush. Like, he's never, like, walking casually. When we see him walking, he's, like, he's off to go somewhere and maybe to kill someone. So you, this actually segues weirdly into one of the things I love the most about this show is how much it takes advantage of the... Um, means of communication back then. We're talking about 1919 to the 1920s. I, obviously, the time between the war and England yeah. is when it's set uh, over the course of a couple of seasons. And one of the things I love is the necessity of like face-to-face communication in all these situations and how Tommy essentially his day is like doing the rounds and going yeah. into the garrison and going in to meet people and talk to them. And he has to like grab people on the street and talk to them. And it's a very, even though it's an um, I would say almost it's sneakily driven by its dialogue. Like, there's only a few set pieces per year. I mean, there's some fights and stuff like that, but for the most part, there's, like, a big thing that happens at the end of the year. Most of it is watching Tommy go through his day and, like, negotiate. It's really true, and, like, he pays a visit. It's, like, one of the most work-a-day representations of a gangster Mm -hmm. on TV where, like, he's— He's checking in with people. He's intimidating people. He's scaring people. And then he's taking care of his family. And he's trying. So essentially the overarching story, I don't know if you're still listening, if you haven't watched PC Blinders (laughs) yet, but this is supposed to be kind of like a way to entice people to check it out, is that it's the rise of this crime family in Birmingham, England, starting in 1919. 1919, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I get it confused because 1917 is coming out. Yes. It's a big time for World War One. Yes. Which is, you're, you know, as we know, the only real war. It's the only real world. World War Two. Only real war in World War Two was uh, the coda. Yeah, it's just the epilogue. And it tracks the rise of the Shelby family and Tommy's somewhat sincere efforts to take the Shelby family legitimate with its business concerns. I don't know if that, do you yeah. really think that's fair? Yeah. And in the meantime, he has siblings who are at once his allies and also like uh, flies in the ointment to some of these, yes, these machinations. And uh, it hits a real sweet spot of if we had gone, if you could go back in time, if, if, if I, if I, if I could have covered the show in a different way from when it started, when we were still at Grantland and we were doing Hollywood prospectus, or if it wasn't this absolute like flood of content right now, I think this would be one of the biggest shows on TV. If it's, it's if it's not already, because I think it is actually quite popular. It is really popular. When you find a Peaky Blinders fan, they're like, they really want to talk about yeah. it. Which is, as I keep saying to you, that you've become like my receptacle for all of my thoughts. And this is <laughs> this is um really exciting for me because I watched the show almost a year ago and I was like, Chris, you need to watch it. And you were just like, eh, maybe. Just, I tried, couldn't I th- get into it. I think it, it was just like, it, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I asked you to watch Good Fight for like five years did, or whatever. I did it. And you finally did it. I'm watching Peaky Blinders and it's the right mix of actually thought-provoking, mm-hmm. actually informative. It's really interesting to just read about, like to see all this stuff about the way that different cultures clashed in in London and Birmingham at the time. And just like the way that the, those cities were sort of shaped by the post-war dynamics. I, th- I think also just one thing that amazes me about uh, early 20th century stuff is like how shipping was like such a oh, yeah. such a vital Everything part. Everything was import-export. Yeah. yeah. 
it's like art the art Vandalay way of life. Like it was just <laughs> was so vital for so long. Yeah. And that like comes across very clearly with Birmingham, which like is relevant because it's on a river. Like yeah. that that's like I don't know. It's just it's just so crazy in our in our digital 21st century life, but like just the really basic transportation of stuff. No, the importance of like half the cities, if not more than the world, are because yeah. of their like relationship to a body of water. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot in Peaky Blinders about like who controls the roads and who controls the waterways mm-hmm. and like how that affects your business. And it's so basic and straightforward, but it's like totally lost in, in like so many. Uh, no, it's culture. like the only thing that ever addresses that really is like Captain Phillips yeah. in the last like five years. In terms it's, of kind of mo- fu- it's kind of funny. You know that guy Shane Carruth who made Upstream Color yes, and he was another, another Grantland legend. His big like next project was supposed to be about modern shipping. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, but never, it didn't seem to get off the ground. Let's make it a podcast. I'd listen. Just Shane Cruz talking about this movie he didn't make? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the, the recurring stars in the show. Okay. That, it's also wild. Um, well, I just wanted to say, so like the, this is the perfect mix of slightly hypnotic and, tra- it's like just enough hypnotic and trashy and also, and repetitive so that you never really feel like too jolted out mm-hmm. of like, why isn't Arthur like this? Or, you know, like, where's Ada? They're always Ada. like they're always kind of the same, but then it also does move the story along. And there are enough new, interesting arrivals on the scene, most notably Tom Hardy in season two, which is just kind of like that. That is actually I should be brought up on on charges because it's one thing just to be like, oh, I didn't like it because of the music. But Tom Hardy plays a Jewish crime family boss. Alfie Simons. I think he's also a diamond Solomons, dealer. Right? So, yeah. yeah. Alfie uh-huh. Solomon's. Also a diamond dealer? And also just seemingly Tom Hardy is just like improvising his dialogue the entire time. It seems like Tom Hardy's having a great time. It just seems no like... No shots at Stephen Knight, who I want to get to, but Tom Hardy is writer, having yeah. a blast. A blast, yeah. And it's like a really cool character given a lot of room to operate, and he sort of is a double agent, and, but you don't even ever know who the two sides are. Right. Like, it, it's hard to tell who he's playing and what and when. And he is, like, a joy to watch on this I show. I can't believe Killian Murphy keeps a straight face in those scenes with him when he's like, you fucking know. If you don't know, then you know. So after I, I you know, I'm a YouTube addict, and, like, for some reason, the two things that I, I need to know, like, after I become interested in either, in, like, a performer of some kind is, like, what they're, like, in real life. And so like with with the musical act, that means like I need to watch their their live performances like ad nauseum until I feel like I just really get So do you just them. watch Tom Hardy's like junket interviews? Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy. I was like, I want to see these guys together in real life. And thank you to our guy, Christopher Nolan. There are a lot of interviews with them, but only for Christopher <laughs> Nolan projects, none for Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's really fun watching them do interviews together because Killian Murphy clearly despises doing press. Like he just, uh, at least... He has like a... A really good long interview in Vulture today with Matt Zoller sites, but even in this interview, you can see him just sort of kind of like coasting through it. Yes, he clearly despises it. He left London and moved back to Ireland for I think He's a quieter life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like yeah. moved back for a quieter life. He I think really likes doing theater because it's sort of like he can explore his craft without the without all of the pomp and circumstance of Hollywood. I think he probably likes doing this show because like you do it. And I think he shoots it for like three months yes, and he's and like, that's it. I'm all set. I'm, I'm yeah. good here. I'm going to go to the St. Anne's warehouse and do Grief is a Thing with Covered in Feathers or whatever that play was <laughs> called that I really wanted to see and did not get to. Um, but they do press together and Tom Hardy in these interviews like is riffing as Tom Hardy instead of as Alfie Solomon. Uh-huh. 
while Killian Murphy's just kind of like sitting there like looking like either bemused or disinterested and like clearly just like waiting for it to be over. Which is the same thing as like actual Peaky Blinders. Yes. But- it's like Tom Hardy will pull a gun on him and then put it down and then spit on his hand and shake hands with him and then give him rum and then like punch him in the face. It's just like two extremely gifted actors who are so different. Yeah. And their energy in Peaky Blinders is so captivating because they are really like playing off each other and they both seem like they're having fun in their different ways. And then when you watch them in interviews as themselves, there's a clear comfort there mm-hmm. where they both are also just like, when the fuck is this over in, in their own ways? <laughs> and I, I love it. I just like, there's not enough disdain from actors these days. They're, they're uh, too cooperative because they all want to have nice right. things said about them. Right. Neither Killing Murphy nor Tom Hardy care. And Tom Hardy on in the show, like, he pops up. He's in it a lot. Yeah, like, he, no spoilers. It's really but... cool. No, I mean, because so Tom Hardy obviously has a relationship with Stephen Knight that goes back to at least Locke, which was Locke's first directorial effort. And Locke, have you ever seen Locke? No. You know what it is? No. It's Tom Hardy plays like a construction contractor. Like a he's in charge of a, a cement construction firm. And the entire movie, it's like an 85-minute, maybe 90-minute movie, is set in Tom Hardy's car. As he's, like, making multiple phone calls driving down, like, the M1. Sounds like that would have been a great role for Killian Murphy. You would love this movie. This sounds good. check Glock out. So, Stephen Knight is a real Juliet person. I don't even know if you know that. I'm just familiar with him from from Peaky Blinders, but tell me more. He is the creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He is? Yes. What? Yeah. So, he's mega wealthy, and this is his passion project. He's mega wealthy and is like one of the most prolific and successful modern screenwriters, and we don't even talk about it. And I would say routinely works on incredibly interesting shit, even if it's not always super successful. Oh my God, you just blew my mind. For instance, he wrote the Bradley Cooper movie Burnt that we have so much fun with. Oh my God. He wrote The Girl with the Spider's Web, the sequel to the Steve Larson movie. Yeah. He wrote that movie Serenity, which was like dissected the Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey movie from last year that was like everybody lost their mind over because there was like 85 twists in it. Oh my God. He did Allied. Yeah. Uh, He did the, the Christmas Carol miniseries. Oh my God. And he is the creator and writer of Taboo. Of with course, Tom Hardy. One of your faves. One, he is one of. He worked on uh, the Apple original C with Jason Momoa that's uh-huh. coming up, and I think he is one of the writers on the sequel to World War Z. Like he just Stephen wow. Knight, come on the watch. What are you doing? That's that's our guy. But I love. Can we carpool with him and then share an office with him for three years? That would be great. I love it when a person is like, I got dumb rich off this earlier thing. This is the uh, who? Which one? Which of the Men in Blazers? Michael Davies. Mike Davies. Just like, I'm just going to do Men in Blazers for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because like, caked up. Plus, Watch Happens Live. Oh, yeah. That's right. He is, Embassy Row is like, he's he's killing it many times over, but yeah, he just like does you what wanna he wants. You want to have the baseline of success from which to then pursue All you need interest. to do is invent either Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or Survivor with Mark Burnett, and you're good. <laughs> you're all set, you know? Do do any project you want after that. But that also speaks to, like, a real time and place where, like, at the turn of the century, if you came up with a really good reality or game show idea, like, you were set. I mean, yes. that's many of the richest people in TV, like, came up with really good ideas for, like, from, two, like, 1999 to 2005, and, like, now they're all good. Right. Like, Chuck Lorre is, like, basically the same. Is the market gone on that? Did the bottom out? I, I think, like, the long-running... Network show. Like, who's the masked singer creator? Is that person caked? I believe that person's Korean. Okay. Um, I think it's from Korea. I, I don't know. But at least, like, starting in Hollywood, like, the long-running network show, regardless of genre or category, is kind of dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not 
if it doesn't already exist, it's probably not going to launch unless it is like the mass singer. No, the, the, I, I'll be curious to see, for instance, like whether Young Sheldon runs as long as Big Bang Theory. There's absolutely no way, but that probably already that has a better chance for it because it's probably a bigger international market for syndication, and that's why a lot of these shows are were sustained for so long. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just not going to happen anymore. So like, does a Stephen Knight even happen? Like, does a Stephen Knight get to make? All that green from one, like, ingenious, <laughs> evergreen, no pun intended, project and yes. then get to go on and do Peaky Blinders, like, again? Prob- th- that's, like, not. amazing, though. I wonder yeah. also if, like, he's able to, like, just sort of say in certain places, like, I will, I don't know if he puts up his own money for it, but clearly he's not, like, writing script to script where he's like, I've got to make ends meet, so I have to do this. No, but I will say, um, I had to mute all the fan accounts because I didn't want to be spoiled. All the PQBs. Yes, yeah. but I, I follow— are you, are you following a lot of fan accounts? I follow one really important Killian Murphy account, and it's— <laughs> what, What's your Twitter follow count at? I keep it at a hard 400. This is on— But you, you're making room for Killian Murphy fan accounts. This is on Instagram. Okay. okay. But I do unfollow. I make room. If there's a new account— I'm at 400 right now, so some things are going to have to be purged soon. Gosh. But— um, Who's out? Haybrun? No, Maggie's more important than ever. Uh, <laughs> no, but I follow this one account that started on Tumblr and moved to Instagram, Sign of the Times, and it's at O-F-Y-C-M. Oh, fuck yeah, Killian Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> and it has just, like, a lot of information and, um, like, ephemera from Killian Murphy yeah. Industries, essentially. And, like, it... It has a lot of uh, Stephen Knight stuff. Like, well, he's active on Instagram. Like, we'll post from set or whatever. And, you know, I think he, like, really, like, rightfully so embraces this. Feels a lot of ownership over it. Like, it's his project. Like, yeah, he's really- I like how there's not... One of the things that I think that often troubles both of us with long-running dramas that we like is the sense that the people on it don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And I do like, not get bothered. that sense from P.E. Blinders. I don't either. I, I really don't. And I think... Other than Killian Murphy, I don't really know, like, who's particularly put out by being on the show. Like, he does have to do a ton of work for it. Plus, he yeah. has to get the haircut, smoke the herbal cigarettes every day. God, the cigarette, he makes Don Draper look like a, like like a, a teenager. Yeah, I mean, the amount of cigarettes he has to smoke in this thing. I know. he con- And the way he just... How do you perfect that? Like, how do you keep it on your lip the right way? I don't know. He's just so hot. It's it's un- it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it so far into this podcast without saying it. But it's he, okay. He's just, just, but like, I don't really care about Killian Murphy. It's just Tommy Shelby. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by CLR as pop culture addicts. You better believe we've seen a lot of shows. But there's nothing quite like the show put on by CLR when it comes to house cleaning. CLR quickly dissolves dirt, calcium, lime, hard water deposits, and soap scum that you'll find all over the house. There is no need to scrub. Grossness is simply eliminated. Just imagine your kitchen sink so shiny, your coffee pot so sparkly, your toilets so free of water stains. Yep, CLR cleans up everywhere, even inside your washing machine. I need that. And CLR doesn't use phosphates, ammonia, or other harsh chemicals, so you can feel good about keeping a clean home with natural ingredients. In fact, it carries the EPA's Safer Choice seal, meaning it's safer for you and the environment without sacrificing quality. So if you're ready to watch a tour de force cleaning performance right in your home, visit clrbrands.com today or pick up a bottle from a retailer near you. Trust your clean to CLR. So... Let's talk about the Shelbys in general. Okay. Who are some of your favorite Shelbys or even just your favorite Peaky Blinders characters aside from Tommy? Well, I do love Alfie Solomon, so let's put him aside as well. Okay. I also just want to say, 
Like, not only is Tom Hardy on the show, but Adrian Brody is a major part of season four. Yeah. Like, he plays he plays an American gangster. Yeah. Like, the mafia comes to England, essentially. Um, my favorite shall be... It might be Linda. I, got, I love Arthur's <laughs> wife. She is sassy and not intimidated by yeah. Tommy. Yeah. And she kind of plays against type. She's a bright-eyed, rosy-cheeked blonde woman who tries to make Arthur go straight. And... Um, She's just not intimidated, and she also likes the money. Like she's a, she's kind of like this show's Carmela, essentially. This show. Speaking of Arthur, I think that this is another one of the reasons why I had a little bit of a hang up getting into it. Is it also feels like the kind of show that was made for a time? It's not even before streaming, but when you had to remind people what the show was about, right. not in terms of exposition, but in terms of behavior. So for a solid two full seasons. Every episode is Arthur walks into the garrison and goes, all right, Peaky fucking blinders. And he just does his whole Arthur thing and has his little Tokyo and drinks his drinks and gets really excited. But it's like tonally always like kind of repetitive in that yeah. way. Uh, so that was just a, a minor hang. Are you a big Arthur fan? I do like Arthur. Um, I find Michael interesting. Mm -hmm. Like he's a real like deus ex machina kind of, but sure. actually integrated into the family way better than I, I could have guessed. He's Polly's, like, yes. son that comes back in season two um, after not being in season one. Are you, in, are you into Polly? I like Polly. She's, like, the other part, access of power. I love Ada. I love the sister. Yeah. I like the feisty women on this show, of which there are many. I like a lot. I honestly like how matter-of-fact so many of these people represent things that were happening at the time period. So whether it's, yeah. like, uh, they're left-leaning or communists. Yeah, or, there's a whole communism plot to this. Yeah. With, with, like, or it's really, like, social. It's more socialist, but... And then a lot of the World War One stuff is pretty well done. Yes, it is. I mean, Tommy has PTSD and... Um, you know, the show, like, begins with kind of based on his connections to people he was in, in the war with. Yeah, I mean, he uses it in some ways to get out of some pretty tight jams is to say, like, well, you know, we we serve together. It's just a it's just a really fun show. Okay. It's also just, like, it's not, like, fun, like, wow, good feeling fun, but, like, it's just, it's immersive. And I think that is something that I really value. And not that many Netflix shows are immersive, and I think the ones that are stand out, like, Stranger Things, extremely immersive, yeah. like really creates a vibe. They do. People they love do it. seem to do period pieces pretty well. Yeah, I, I think they do. And that like is obviously a model that works for them. It's just a great show. This is a good way to get into we a conversation that you and I have a lot in our personal life, the, the comedy v. drama yeah. thing. So where are you? how are you feeling about that right now? In general? In terms of like what you're kind of leaning towards, what you find entertaining. I want to be into comedy, but I just can't. I just can't quit the hour-long show. I just can't get away from it. Like, I, I actually didn't even watch the series, the season finale of Younger this season because I, like, heard what happened. I was like, that sounds bad. I don't want to watch that. Mm -hmm. I've started, like, blocking out TV that I'm like, I think this will not, I will not find this pleasant. So okay. I'm just not, not going to be involved. Um, I just quit. When it properly combines two things, like L to the OG, though. Oh, my God. Succession. I, I was alone in my apartment watching last week's episode <laughs> when Kendall rapped and... I think I said to my TV, like, what is going on here? And I was so uncomfortable and enthralled, and I loved it. And I've rewatched the rap, like, at least 15 you times. You just have it on your computer screen. Yes. Just yeah. It was, it's been weird because we've been doing these episodes for the most part of Number One Boys a couple of days before the episode airs. So I'll just look at my phone on Sunday nights, and all of a sudden, everybody will be just tweeting out pictures of Jeremy Strong wearing a baseball jersey and saying L to the OG. Incredible. 
dude be the OG? Um, A and he playing doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Have you enjoyed the way that Succession has sort of it? Like the first season is largely about. Uh, I was talking with Allison Herman about this today. Like the first season is largely about Kendall and Kendall's mm-hmm. relationship to the family, and then this season is largely about Shiv. Yes, and this her relationship to the family. Do you think that's like an effective storytelling structure for them? I do. It seems like they're setting up season three to be about Roman. Not mad at that. No, me neither. The Roman and Jerry stuff's so fucking funny. Yeah. And weird. And like, but also believable to me. Mm-hmm. I think that the change in Shiv has been a little bit drastic from where she was to where she is now in terms of like her professional goals and, and hopes and everything. But I, I really enjoy Sarah Snook. And I, I think her tete-a-tetes with Holly Hunter have been really great. And I love the Holly Hunter stuff. I think that the writing for Holly Hunter's character has not been quite as deft because obviously there's not the same sort of like long game at play with sure. a character like that. That That's the benefit of probably working with HBO and also like having like a family drama where you know, barring like a, a death or whatever, which, just, which only seems like it would befall Logan. Right. You'll be with these characters for a while. So there's a lot of time to set things up. And I think that the show really benefits from that, especially with a big car- with a big cast. Like nothing is rushed. Um, also, less Greg and Tom this season. A little bit less. I think that because the show, I actually think that even even with the Kendall stuff last year, that this season feels a little darker. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's it, also- I think, we, I, and I think they have to like put Greg and Tom a little bit in the background if it's going to be a darker episode because you can't. You can't really like, have those guys be taken too seriously. Brian Cox just really overpowers a lot of stuff, well, too. We, didn't, we only got him for half a season last yeah. year. Yeah, really. and so having him in every episode just really changes it because he's such a towering figure as an actor, and then obviously Logan within the family just, like, really is so domineering. But even when he gets to be funny, like, when he's talking to Greg at the end, when he's like, yeah. do you want to be with Fun Uncle or Grandpa Grumps? Like, it's just <laughs> so funny. And the Gregzit stuff was amazing. I, this was my favorite episode. I don't know if that's a popular opinion, but last week's um, Dundee was my favorite episode. I still I still think Safe Room is my favorite episode of this season. I also loved Our Justice. Yeah, Our Justice is really good too. I just, I guess I like a field trip. What else are you watching right now? Um, I'm catching up on Below Deck Med, me mm-hmm. and uh, Soderbergh, you know. Um, <laughs> Do you want to explain what you just said there? <laughs> Steven Soderbergh watches Below Deck and includes it in his, like, what I watched, read. And, yeah, it's and pretty amazing. Whatever. It's a great show. It's I have to, I'm going to be honest because Steven Soderbergh is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. But I, I sometimes, like, watch the shows that he's, like, Vanity Fair Confidential and I'm like man is this like some hidden fucking piece of art and then you watch it and it's just like no this is this is just like I find his interest in in low culture validating yeah I love it um what else am I watching I can't wait to go home tonight to watch the Troika of Grey's Anatomy A Million Little Things and The Good Place you watch A Million Little Things I do I sure do interesting objectively bad objectively many issues with it Stars Dave from Road Rules, who some of you may remember as Meredith having dated Kara, who was in Maxim, and then he was on The Challenge, and like now he's a serious actor. He was on Grimm for yeah. many years. My, I, yeah. I don't even know Dave's last name. He's just Dave. I yeah. think he's like David something now, but he's just Dave from yeah, Road he's Rules. He's on a million little things. Um, that show is stolen by another guy whose name I don't know. I don't know the name of any actor on the show. Do you want me to look them really up? Really rare. For, no, I don't think okay. we need to know. All right. Um, he plays Gary and the only person I do know on the show is Romani Malco because I always wanted him to have a better career yeah, than he did. Yeah, after 40-year-old virgin, yeah. And Weeds. He was yeah. amazing on Weeds. Um, and no one from that show really like took off afterwards. Anyway, 
It is like a true guilty pleasure for me. Like I really bristle at that term when it applied to many of the shows that I like. But uh, it is a true guilty pleasure for me. And I don't know. I just like the the soap. I love a soap. Have opera. you tried any of the other network dramas that have premiered, like Stumptown? Or... I was thinking about trying Stumptown. What's Almost Family? Is that the one that's Almost like... Family? I love Britney Snow. I think that's a comedy, but I won't be watching. Um, no, it was a comedy. Is it not? I think it's like a. I, well, I don't. I'm not sure. That, I think it's a comedy that people take issue with the fact that it's being played for jokes. Essentially, yeah. like all these people have the same father, and and it's like a. It's like it's like not because like of the same sperm right, from fertility sperm doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like pretty gross. Yeah. So I think that's not funny. Maybe I'm wrong, and it's not a, a comedy, but. I just don't see that drama being on network TV. <laughs> what else am I watching? I mean, that's kind of a lot. Yeah, that's a ton. I'm catching up with Righteous Gemstones, loving that. It's great. I'm dipping in and out of styling. Did Hollywood you get to the Goggins yet on Gemstones? Yes, I did. He's very, very good. Uh, I love Danny McBride. He's just so funny. Yeah, this and, is, Gemstones has been like a real mir- like a quiet miracle this season. It's really good. It's fun that HBO is good. You know, I like really miss Chernobyl. Like, I wish there was more Chernobyl coming, which is which is weird. Yeah, I, like. Really loved it. And would you prefer if, if Peaky Blinders was HBO every Sunday for six weeks? Yes, I would. Yeah. I would like to like drag it out, but I know I'm not going to. Like I'm I'm busy this weekend. I'm watching Peaky Blinders. I know. It's really hard to have the discipline. Yeah. And not and also it's hard to because you can't go on the internet in certain places. You can't go to Killian Murphy fan accounts on Instagram without getting spoiled. <laughs> oh F Y C M. Um I just want to tell you I'm reading this book. Middle England by Jonathan Coe, who we both love. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? I have not. I think you're gonna love it. And it's going to be a great BBC miniseries. Were we just talking about all these? Everybody's got their Brexit book. Mm-hmm. So John Le Carre's new novel, An Agent Running in the Field, is Brexit. Ian McEwan's got a Kafka riff that is a Brexit book called The Cockroach. I got I to gotta read that. I love McEwan. And Middle England, is that about Brexit? It is. It starts in 2010 and kind of each chapter is a different month and it's leading up to 2016. It's about a family living in Birmingham. And it reminds me a lot of one of my— <laughs> <The> Shelby's. <laughs> What if he wrote it's like a sequel to Peaky Blinders? It's kind of about how the Midlands suck. It's good. But it's why do they suck? Just because of their location or just Um because it's like indicative of a certain lifestyle that uh-huh. is maybe out of fashion or out of favor. And it's it's really good. But it's gonna be a great BBC miniseries. Like I it reminds me a lot of Capital by John Lanchester. I mm-hmm. talked about this on Ringer Dish as well. And that was a good BBC miniseries. That was Toby Jones, right? Yeah. Isn't that? Right. Yeah. It reminds me of many of my favorite contemporary British novels like NW by Zadie Smith. Yeah. And... Kind of really good at contemporary slice of British life. Yeah. Right. That's like my favorite genre of novel. That's how I feel about Top Boy. I think Top Boy is really reflective of that. I started that, but I wasn't paying good enough attention. I'm going to watch it. Should I watch both Top Boys on Netflix? So there's Top Boy... They have it divided so that it's Top Boy Summer House is the first two seasons that were several years ago. Oh, I see. And then they revived... Drake revived it for this season and they've separated it for some reason. I don't necessarily know why. I just watched season three with candidly like watching a couple of episodes of the other seasons, but really just reading, like, mm-hmm. everything you need to know about Top Boy. And I was, I felt okay. Okay, good to know. Uh, but I thought Top Top Boy is one of the best things I've seen this season. I really need to watch it. Uh, Juliet, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. Greenwall will be here, and we'll also have the audio from Number One Boys, so it'll be fun. Maybe, maybe Andy and I will go to Joker together. You never know. We'll have plenty of stuff to talk about Monday and uh, some fun guests coming up in October, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to The Watch.
Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by CLR. CLR quickly dissolves dirt, calcium, lime, hard water deposits, and soap scum that you find all over the house. And CLR doesn't use phosphates, ammonia, or harsh chemicals. In fact, it carries the EPA's Safer Choice seal, meaning it's safer for you and the environment. Visit clrbrands.com or pick up a bottle from a retailer near you.